Welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. But this episode is guest-hosted by none other than Eric Rochow of Garden Fork, who interviews me about my background and about how Root Simple got started. Before we get to the discussion, I want to thank our Patreon subscribers, Dan F., Heather E., Lynn G., K., Erica R., Kelton M., and supporters Michael W. and Dutch Girl. If you'd like to become a patron and make an ongoing pledge to support our podcast and blog, you can find a link in the show notes and on the right side of this blog at rootsimple.com. And now, Eric interviews Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. This is your guest host, Eric Rochow from Garden Fork. I've occasionally popped on here to be the substitute host. Today, I have a very interesting guest. His name is Eric Knutson. He runs with his wife, Kelly, a very interesting blog called Root Simple. And I've been trying to get him on the show, and I thought you guys might be kind of interested in a deep dive into the mind of Eric Knutson, half of the brain trust that created this amazing site and a community that I am actually jealous of. Uh, there's just the amount of comments that appear on all the posts on their site, plus their Los Angeles bread baking venture and their yard and house, which has been described as junkyard biosphere number two. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Thank you, Eric. I just want to Thank, tell everyone that it's been really nice of, of you to to reach out to me uh, a number of times in the midst of what's been a you know pretty difficult couple of months. You subbed for us, uh, and I think you noticed that that I hadn't updated the podcast in a while, and you just said, "Hey, how about we do a podcast today?" So I really really appreciate it, and I hope that our listeners will go to Garden Fork. TV and look at all your videos and your podcasts and your blog too. So definitely check Shame. that out. Shameless plug. Shameless plug, indeed. But I was, you know, I've always been curious. Like I ran across you on Pinterest, actually, of all places, and it was the um, five gallon bucket made into a rocket stove. Oh, yeah. That's fun. It's funny you saw on Pinterest too, because I don't pay as much attention to Pinterest as I probably should. But that post was one of the ones that really kind of went viral for whatever reason. I think we just like hit a hole on the internet or something at that point. And yeah, I built the bucket one. And before that, I we had built a brick one as well. And then you made a pretty cool video about making one out of, I think you made a plastic bucket one, right? Yeah, all sorts of controversy with that in the comments. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, no, we had we had controversy about the zinc and the pipe too. I don't know if you got a bit of that too, but yeah, uh, yeah, it burns off. It burns off. Yeah, I, the, it the the rocket stove is one of those like easier kind of gee whiz projects in the kind of universe of urban homesteading activities, and it's it really it really does work very well, and and there's many different ways to make one. Uh, you can make one out of um, just um, cans too, and that works really well. And it's kind of it's it's a, a light bulb moment for some people. I think it's a it creates a kind of tipping point or a left turn signal to go or right. I don't know whatever side you want to go on into like a deeper dive into this stuff. And you're like, oh wow, that's brilliantly simple, and yet it works. And then you kind of 
you kind of fall into the the um the the root simple world which is that's how i and then i went to your site and i was like who are these people <laughs> i kind of felt like i was like i you know the west coast is like a different universe to me so <laughs> as is the east coast to me yeah well let's let's start with the beginning so um obviously uh well not everyone knows but eric's mom just passed away but your mom was an art teacher and i'm wondering if that had an influence on you yeah, definitely. My mom was a do-it-yourselfer type. She had a kiln in the garage. She she made jewelry herself, cutting rocks. She taught me carpentry. We built a, a deck and a arbor together. She was a wonderful mom, and she really she had that DIY spirit. And um, she, you know, definitely was a, the, the main influence on what's become um, our my career and uh, that I share with Kelly. But um, definitely the, the books and the blog, and I owe a lot to mom for that. I, I'm willing to bet, much like myself, that your mom taught you how to use the sewing machine. Yes. So your mom taught you how to use the sewing machine too? Yeah, I own two sewing machines, actually. Oh, yeah. I can't say that I'm very good at it, but she did show me how to, to make a shirt. And I made exactly like one or two shirts and realized it was a huge amount of work. But <laughs> <laughs> do you use your sewing machine much? I mainly use it to repair my work clothes. Um, I wear Carhartts and they uh, wear out a bit. And so I have like a sacrificial pair and I cut cloth off that and I sew it onto the functioning clothing. I just hate buying new clothes. And I'm like, well, I got a sewing machine. I could just fix this hole, you know? Yeah, that's great. Kelly just got into it again. And uh, she got a sewing machine. And I, I made a sewing room for her out in our sheds. So she's been doing it. I haven't, I haven't, I, I should probably uh, pick up that skill again. It is handy. It is handy to know. And it's, it's, but it's not easy. It reminds me a little bit of carpentry, actually, in that the longer you go in making something, the more. Uh, <laughs> catastrophic. The 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 worse the mistakes are, right? If you're getting towards the end of finishing something, and you can really, you have to be careful towards the end of of things. Yes, I've not... sewed. I'd I've sewed pockets shut before in my <laughs> pants. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's a good skill to know. So after um, growing up, you went to the University of California at San Diego. Is that right? I got a undergraduate degree at UCLA, and then I went on to UCSD in San Diego, and I studied music for some weird um, counterintuitive reason. Well, why was it counterintuitive? Were you were you leaning towards something else? Yeah, or? I was leaning towards science actually, and then uh, my bad math abilities got the best of me. Better at the humanities than than uh, math and science, in, in the end, so. I think, though, that music and creative things actually have some math in them because I'm not very good at, like, algebra, but I'm very good about rough estimating numbers in my head that my sp my partner, wife, uh, is always impressed with because I'll just calculate, like, the sales tax on something and I'll just be like – and I'll, I'll get pretty darn close to it even though the, the sales tax rate in New York is 8.625 something or other, you wow. know? Well, you're better at it than I am. You know, the thing about music that was interesting is you do, you know, work you work with your hands. So that was one part of it that I'm still doing. And actually when I was doing music, I was building instruments and things like that, making bagpipes and all kinds of strange percussion instruments and stuff like that. So it, you know, there's a little bit of what I do now in what I was doing then. And then actually I ended up 
oddly enough, helping uh, a professor edit music, uh, classical music videos, and he taught me video editing. So I ended up video editing for a while thanks to that, which is a skill that you've used a lot more than I have. I always think about getting back to doing videos, but then the amount of work kind of it's easy. I always find it easier to edit a podcast. I don't know about you. You're you're pretty prolific with the videos, but I I I don't know. I I find that a lot of work. Well, you just have to let go. Yeah. And just you know, once you get the flow, and then um, I always suggest walking away from it and coming back the next day and looking at it again. Oh yeah, is that what you do? You shoot a video one day and then edit it the next. Is that kind yeah. of yeah? So moving from you. Uh, you're leaving school, and then you actually had a, a couple of, I guess, office jobs, would you call them? Well, I worked as an editor for a while. I worked for the University of California's um, television station. I worked briefly for KPBS down in San Diego as an editor. I worked a little bit for DirecTV. And then I had to move back to L.A. because my dad's health was, was kind of going downhill. And uh, I ended up, Kelly ended up working for, of all places, the Museum of Jurassic Technology, which is an amazing, very hard to describe museum. And I ended up working next door at a place called the Center for Land Use Interpretation, which was a lot of fun working there, um, doing lectures and photos and putting together exhibits and things like that. It's a really interesting place. If people are visiting L.A., they need to see those two they're kind of like museums, but the Center for Land Use Interpretation covers the human use of the landscape. So and that's a broad kind of a topic, but it meant that I got to go to all kinds of strange places like the Nevada test site, um, went to Europe quite a few times to do lectures and look at uh, infrastructure and things like that. Uh, went into a mile deep Swedish mine. I got to go to the Arctic and Greenland. It was a uh, it was a lot of fun. And then we uh, we wrote those two two books and that life changed. So does Kelly work next door and you met there? Is that no, actually, we met at UCSD. She was in the art department and the art department shared the building with the television station. And uh, so I would work at night editing and hang out with some of the art students who would throw parties in the art department late at night. And that's how I met Kelly. Those art department people. They were a lot of fun. I know. They were. With, I, would, I would hang out with the sculpture people and especially the, um, at the, they had a foundry, you know, and it was a very kind of machismo group. You know, because it was fire and heat and and danger. Yeah. And alcohol. Yeah, that was, yes. People don't know that about art departments. That's what it was like. There was a lot of welding, a lot of crazy activities at night, uh, strange things going on. It was it was a lot of fun. One of, the, one of Kelly's colleagues is a guy who goes by the name Mike Bonanno, who is one of the yes men. Uh, I don't know if you know them, but um, there was a lot of hijinks. Let me put it that way. <laughs> So we have some jobs and then this, this, is there a kind of a aha moment that you want to move away from that or, or I'm curious? Yeah, well, we went to, how did this, I, one, one day I started Root Simple. I, I, I just had this kind of realization that all of the kind of DIY activities I was interested in, which were like you, very eclectic. 
and they didn't seem and I, I always felt bad I was like doing too many things and not focusing on one thing but oh then, I know what that's like yeah right you know exactly what that's like and then one day I realized oh I can put them all together in a blog which I think you did you did about the same time too right um, Garden Fork's yeah. been around a long time I realized mine I realized I could put together in videos uh, oh, and right. then the, the blog came second but it, it was very close behind yeah, so I was able to kind of put them all together in one place. It was an aha moment. And then very shortly after that, I went to a party with some with Kelly and, and a friend of ours. And it was Jody and Adam who ran a, a publishing house called Process Media Feral House. Really mm-hmm. interesting, very edgy publisher, the kind of publisher that they put out books no one else would dare put out. They put out the kind of books that, they, they, in short, they're risk takers. And they, they right. saw our blog and, and Jody, who also is very prescient. She's sort of like ahead of the curve all the time. She just said, you guys, I want you to write a book for me um, on on this, this stuff, this DIY stuff. And this was 2007. It was before the economic kind of uh, meltdown of 2008. And um, so she was really ahead of the curve and she was a really good editor. She just would say, like, keep it positive. No, like, you know, you know, downer talk, just positive, like show people how to do things. No Facebook, in other words. This was long. This is before Facebook. Yeah, exactly. I know, but there's just so much doom on Facebook. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) No, I know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Totally. Um, and that's good. At, it turns out that's good advice, you know. And so we wrote that book, and it was much more successful than we anticipated it would be. Did it kind of was it kind of uh, just kismet that the, the, the did the crash of two thousand eight? Did that create a hunger for this kind of thing? You think, or was there was it already there, and that ex- excelled it? Ex- yeah, accentuated? definitely there was that, and you know most of the book is written by Kelly, and I, I want to say she's a very good writer and always has been. She's the person who kind of just sit down and it all just start coming out, and she's very good at it. So that's we, we, so it was that her talent, and also um, also the timing, definitely the timing. And had had you or Kelly written a book before? No, neither of us had. Uh, we'd both done a lot of writing. Um, Kelly more than me. She's the better writer. the The blog itself is practice too. It's it, if anyone's interested in writing books, I definitely recommend a blog because it forces you to to write on a regular basis. And then that's no, actually yeah yeah go ahead, Eric. That's my next question: is is looking back on that, what would you have done differently from the get go? Well. Um, one thing one thing I think that's important with this material, and you know this as well as I do, that it's important to do everything that you write about. And uh, we mostly did, but there's a few topics in the book that we did not, you know, one or two actually, not many, but I, I, that's one of the things I look back on. It's like, oh, you, you have to actually do everything. You can't just rely on research for this stuff. Uh, so definitely for the second book, we made sure that we did everything. Yeah, Wikipedia is not always a great source. Definitely not. <laughs> right. So then you are you're kind of living the you're living the dream in a way. Definitely. 
And are you doing speaking appearances? Um, what else in addition to the book is, is keeping you going at this point? Yeah, we were doing a lot of speaking appearances. We uh, did a lot of classes as well. And that's been really wonderful because the people that are interested in these topics are all really wonderful, nice people like you. And uh, so it was an excuse to meet lots of really, really nice people who want to make the world a better place. So that's been really, really wonderful. And part of that was starting the Los Angeles Bread Bakers was kind of, you know, a little bit of that with some other people. And that group has been really, really wonderful, too. And you know, any of this DIY stuff is just it's fun and it's an excuse to get together with other people, like-minded people. That's that's what makes it so wonderful. Yeah, you don't really have to sell them on the idea. They're already sold on the idea. They they want to come hear you talk. You know? Yeah, exactly. And they want to meet other people that are doing the same things. So it forms a community. Before we started the the talk here, we were talking about um, Deke Diedrichsen, who was big in the tiny house movement. And I think there's a, there's a similar attraction to him and what he's doing. And he does uh, workshops all over the country now. Um, we've been trying to get him on both shows. Uh, maybe eventually we will. But there's that. Uh, there's just kind of a neat glue that kind of makes it all come together. So I really like that. I love his enthusiasm. His videos are, they're really funny and, and he's, you know, he's really, really kind of engaging character. He used to be a drive time radio DJ. Oh, that's funny. No, it makes sense. <laughs> Which is why he talks better than you and I oh, do. Oh, <laughs> okay. That's really funny. He has a band too. I And I heard a little bit of the band. It's like, it's pretty good, you know? Yeah. I think it's like a metal band. Yeah. Are you, are you in a band now or do you do any music? Or? <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I was never the best musician, so I've kind of put that behind me. But uh, it was fun. But um, I, I let uh, other people do that. So now you're um, you're with Kelly. You have a book out. Did the buying of the house come before or after the book? That was before. We bought the house in 1998 uh, when I had to move back, take care of Dad. So and it that... was kind of falling falling off its off the yes, rock. It was built still... on. Yes, it still is. Every ship is sinking, as they say. It's uh, almost 100 years old. It's a nice old bungalow, but uh, it um, need, needed and now needs some more work. It's kind of like, you know, when you redo a place and then 15 years later, you kind of can't, it needs to be redone again. And that's kind of oh. where we're at with it. Little little paint. Yeah, it needs some paint. The floors in the kitchen need to be replaced. I, I think I want to Put in air conditioning. <laughs> it might be nice to have that. It gets hot here in August, and uh, a couple other things. But it's a nice old house. It's on a little hill. Has a nice little view. Um, it is pretty much unchanged since 1920 on the inside. I, I like that about it. As far as the air conditioning, I'm intrigued because I just think everyone in LA lives in air conditioning. Um, because I've heard your podcast, and you and Kelly are in the bedroom, and I, you have a in the window air conditioner for the for the bedroom does that become the summer office as well or well it's i don't you know it, is that I, too much information no <laughs> we it it's funny here you don't really need air i mean i think it's probably cooler than where you are at least probably cooler than brooklyn in the summertime it's not humid here except oh, for go, yeah. right except for maybe august september and a bit of october it can get hot and unpleasant and smoggy I always think of it as like our winter 
It's when you don't want to go out here. It's just kind of relentlessly sunny and and uh, smoggy and not the best time of year. And we just have a window air conditioner. So when it gets really hot, we end up pulling up in the bedroom, which gets a little, you know, like, I don't know, just a little bit claustrophobic. And maybe we'll go to the library <laughs> to use their air conditioning. But I don't know. Now with the dog, I think we might need to get um, get the whole house air conditioner. We already have central heat. We put that in a long time ago, so the duct works there. It just needs the um, the unit on the outside, and I think we're I think we're good to go. So um, recently, I think the urban homesteading trademark thing had finally been ironed out. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right group called the Dervais Institute trademarked the phrase urban homestead and urban homesteading. Which caused some problems for you. It caused some problems for us and for a number of other people. Denver Urban Homesteading, the Urban Homesteading Institute of um, Oakland, uh, the Santa Monica Public Library, KCRW, public radio station, all got uh, cease and desist letters. So the trademark came out after the after our book came out, actually. Uh, and anyways, the uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a really nice um, organization, nonprofit organization in San Francisco, stepped up to defend or to change that trademark or get it removed, basically. Uh, they did that pro bono. They got in touch with another law firm called Winston Strawn, who also joined uh, what ended up being a... I don't know how many years, many year to get that trademark uh, removed. And wow. the trademark court works very slowly. It's not an in-person thing. It's all done by paperwork. So the lawyers would write them and write the other side. And then we'd wait and wait and wait for uh, a you know their uh, decision. And then they, we would have to write some more stuff. And uh, it went on and on and on. And yeah, finally, this year, that was done away with. And it's part of, you know, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, you know, thinks that the English language belongs to all of us. And there are certain phrases that should just be, you know, in the public domain. And that is definitely one of them. Yay. Yeah. Thanks to them. Uh, we didn't, you know, we just, uh, they, ju they did all the work. That's amazing. That, that's, that's just kind of head, you know, I just kind of shake my head. Yeah, it's a very common problem these days. There's a lot of things being trademarked and copywritten that, that should not be. And that's why it's so important, I think, that people support the EFF because they're really in in the midst of that fight. They also have their own encrypted uh, messaging app out as well. I didn't know that. Really? Is it that? I think it's called Signal. I think they, I think they. Oh, Signal. Yeah, I'm not is sure. Is someone yelling at the yeah. podcast right now? Not sure it's them, but I know what you mean. That's a, um, yeah, uh, uh, there's no backdoor on Signal, right? Isn't that the thing? Yeah. yeah. But we don't have a head of the FBI right now anyway, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, well, a couple more things. So urban homesteading has kind of been mainstreamed. Is there, is there a, a term or a kind of a outlook or a, a mindset going forward that you're thinking about, or you're you going to keep on keeping on or. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I was just thinking this week how uh, people want 
to be able to do something positive. And I'm going to focus on that. Uh, every once in a while, I'll write kind of like a critical, very like dark blog post, and I always end up throwing them out. Because I think, first of all, it's not to say that that shouldn't that we shouldn't be critical of of what's going on in the world. We definitely should be, but I think there's other people doing that, and I feel like you and I, like our job is to show people here's things you can do, and here's you know community you can join, and um, I feel that's my calling, and that's what I'm going to continue to to focus on. I, I sometimes I'll just feel really down and I'm like, Oh, why do I do this? And then there's some email or comment comes out of the blue from someone who's like, I'm, I don't really comment much. I've been watching your show for years and it's like three paragraphs of glowing, you know, <laughs> do you get those? Oh yeah. We get those. People are so nice. And, um, yeah, that's and I, that's when I realize, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be writing about this stuff because it does it does affect people. And uh, you know, it's funny is I often get those notes when I'm feeling down or when something's going on, and I'll get one of those notes and I realize, oh, okay, you know, this is what I should be doing. This is what I should focus on. Yay! Yeah. Well, if people want to find you, Eric, where where can they find you on the internet? They can find me on rootsimple.com. And um, also on Facebook, but I actually kind of prefer if people go to the website, although Facebook's fine too. They can just look up my name, Eric Knutzen, E-R-I-K-K-N-U-T-Z-E-N, or uh, Root Simple has a Facebook page as well. I haven't gotten together to do the group that you do yet, but one of these days I should do that. But yeah, those are the places to find us. So where should people find you, Eric? Oh, go to YouTube and type in Garden Fork, or go to iTunes and type in Garden Fork, uh, or Go to the web and type in gardenfork.tv. There you go. And listen to your podcast. Your podcast actually carried me through these kind of dark months, too, because it's always cheery and upbeat, and I appreciate that. Oh, wow. Thank you. I I never know what people think. So. <laughs> it's great. All right. Well, um, thank you all for listening. You have some comments. You can email Eric. Uh, I don't know. How do they email you? How do they? Oh, they email me at rootsimple at gmail.com. There you go. We're doing the end roll together then, aren't we? We are, indeed. And your music is from somebody Frankenstein? There you are. And people can reach me on Twitter at at RootSimple. Oh, and I'm Garden Fork TV on Twitter. There you go. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Leave a review on iTunes. That's always good karma. Thank you, Eric. Special thanks again to Eric Rochow of Garden Fork for doing this interview, for being a frequent guest on our podcast, and for stepping up and doing a podcast for us back in January. Thank you so much, Eric. You can find his website at gardenfork.tv. There's a link in the show notes. And make sure to subscribe to his Garden Fork YouTube channel. Thanks again to our Patreon subscribers for supporting this podcast. To leave a question for the Root Simple Podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are at Root Simple on Twitter. You can have our podcasts automatically downloaded for free by subscribing in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, please share this podcast in social media. You can support the Root Simple podcast through our Patreon campaign or through a one-time PayPal donation. You can find those links on the right side of our blog, which is rootsimple.com. You can also purchase one of our books through the Amazon links on our website. 
Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. Thank you.